You're listening to the Accenture Insurance Influencers Podcast. Everybody's got an ego, and the ego plays an important role for all of us. The challenge is you're a house, and your, your ego is not the house. Your ego is a permanent resident in your house. And the ego needs to have a nice room on the second floor at the end of the hallway. The ego should not be camped out on the front yard. Welcome back to the Accenture Insurance Influencers Podcast. In our last episode, Don Bailey shone a light on the insurance industry's leadership challenges. My name is Don Bailey. I'm a partner with Bristlecom. In this episode, we're going to look more broadly at what leadership is and what it isn't. Before we get too far, let's hear again how Don defines leadership. So I think the purpose of it ultimately, the art and science of leadership, is to inspire people. We could probably put a few other words and labels in there, but I think at the end of the day, they probably point to the same thing. And so it's all about creating an environment where people are compelled to engage and to achieve. And that's what I think a leader does. Leaders inspire us to achieve things we never thought we could achieve. You've defined what leadership means to you. And I I think it's interesting that it doesn't necessarily focus on the outcomes. And I think, um, by which I mean, I think when people think about leadership, when they picture a leader, um, as much as we are trying to change this conversation, there are stereotypical ideas of what leadership looks like. In particular, I think that it is an extroverted, charismatic, heroic, and often masculine figure. How do we get past the stereotype? I spent a lot of time thinking about that. And I think your your question really does make a great statement about some of our perceptions regarding leadership. We do have this distinctly masculine view of it. A core part of what Bristlecone does is work with female executives and how they navigate what is largely a you know a man's landscape, rules that often were written by men. Uh, format. And it can become a very challenging dynamic. So I think the world of neuroscience teaches us, and I'll come back to the science of this, that effective leaders aren't necessarily the big, bold, masculine, uh, confident personalities. The world of neuroscience teaches us that the effective leaders are great listeners, are empathetic, in proper proportions, um, our coaches, our mentors, they ask great questions. And so what's interesting is that what we've learned about leadership is that so much of what effective leadership is are what we would often tie to more feminine qualities, skills, and attributes, and not to the masculine side. So I think that bodes well for an industry, that being insurance, that is long overdue to close the gender gap and to press more women into senior leadership, C-suite, and board positions. I'm, I'm going to press on that just a little bit, Don, because I know that there is some research to show that when, um, as you say, the leadership may have been defined by men and that when women go into those roles, if they behave like men, they are perceived as pushy, 
Whereas if they try to set their own standard of what leadership looks like, these um, good listening and empathy and whatnot, that may not necessarily be recognized as strengths. They may actually be perceived as weaknesses. Can you talk a little bit about how to navigate that, not just for women, but maybe for people who historically have not come from the demographic that has made up leaders? How do you show your leadership skills in a world that kind of judges you either way? It's interesting because we are often challenged by the environments in which we operate. There are some cultures that are much more supportive and and fostering of everything that we're talking about right now. And there are other cultures that just flat out aren't. So what I would highlight, though, is that it's a balance. I think on one hand, you have to recognize the environment in which you're operating in. And you can't operate in a way that's completely foreign to that environment. I would also say that you have to actually be disruptive if you're going to make progress. So getting along and playing by you know, the man's rules, sometimes, yes, can cause some friction and can send things maybe heading in the wrong way. Um, and so for me, I think it's a balance between playing the game, understanding the rules, but also being yourself, operating with authenticity, with integrity, and in this case, for a, for a female in the workplace, leaning into those innate skills that you have as, as a listener, uh, as a great questioner, as a more empathetic personality. Don, I want to clarify who gets to be a leader. Is leadership something that applies to every individual within an organization? It does. It really does. It's what organizations need. Everybody needs to be leading. Um, And you make the distinction, which is a proper one, between leadership and management. There are very few leaders in the world. There's a lot of managers in the world, particularly in mid, upper mid, large organizations. You have a lot of managers. You know, the classic definition of manager, controlling people or process, controlling people or process, definition of manager, definition of management. And if you go back to my, you know, the art and science of inspiration definition of leadership, these two things, these are jet engines and light bulbs. They, they are two completely different disciplines. Uh, and so the distinction often is not prevalent enough within organizations. People too often, oh, our leaders, oh, our managers, and they see these as interchangeable constructs. And they're really not. And so we need to unleash the leadership part of, of the word within the organization and allow, empower middle management to operate with you know, more freedom, more flexibility, more creativity, more innovation, uh, because they have the answers. They're on the front lines. They're closer to the business. They're closer to the people. They're closer to the clients. In your experience, what are common impediments to effective leadership? Uh, we talk about the fact that everybody's got an ego. And the ego plays an important role for all of us. The challenge is you're a house. And your, your ego is not the house. Your ego is a permanent resident in your house. And the ego needs to have a nice room on the second floor at the end of the hallway. The ego should not be camped out on the front yard. People should not come to your house and go, oh, gosh, there's the ego. <laughs> there's his ego. I'm, I'm being confronted with this. So the ego goes upstairs, second floor, end of the hallway. Great. 
doorbell rings, you're going to hear the ego steps coming down the hallway and trying to come down the steps. You need to meet the ego at the steps and say, no, 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 I got this. You can go back to your room. <laughs> and so a lot of what I'm working with when I deal with a, uh, a new client is just trying to understand the presence of the ego and, and where it resides. And with some people, it's, it's right there in the front yard. And, um, it's not a pleasant thing to come in contact with, but if it's what I'm encountering, it's what their direct reports and their colleagues are encountering. And so we, yeah, I, I try to share some books and other references on the context of, of ego and how it should exist in our life, but it's a permanent resident should have a nice, comfortable place on that second floor bedroom and it should be engaged when needed, um, but not always. That's a great analogy. And it brings to mind a messy garage sale or maybe a lemonade stand, depending on your ego's inclination. So ego is one of the biggest impediments to leadership. What factors contribute to successful, effective leadership? Openness and humility. It's something we start with in every one of our coaching engagements is just a kind of an assessment of openness and humility. And that's where it starts. If there's no openness and humility, we're really not going to get very far. And I've referenced a number of times because we talk about a lot of this concept of the ego. The ego likes to tell us that we're fine. The ego likes to tell us that everything's good, that we're incredibly capable, that we're better than we are, that it's other people's fault. And so when somebody comes in to talk to you about the fact that, you know, maybe you can be better, uh, maybe you're not seeing yourself for exactly who you are. Uh, maybe you don't truly understand your brand within the organization. And if we made progress on all of those, you could really be a high impact leader in this organization and in this industry for years to come. It would be a game changer. And it's interesting for me that the, the biggest, most powerful leaders that I have sometimes uh, are the ones who are the most open and humble. And sometimes you get down uh, the ranks a little bit and you have people that are a little bit more closed. There are perceptions that it's not okay to be open and humble when it comes to leadership conversations. So the more we can demystify this conversation and take that stigma away from people and just allow them to be vulnerable, to say, I don't always know what I'm doing. I don't always know how to engage the room. I don't always know how to drive change. I don't always know how to lead the team through adversity. The better off we're going to be. So openness, humility really are the key. For me, it's how quickly can I get somebody's trust so that we can actually trigger that openness and humility that truly allows them to flourish and, and blossom as a leader. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about the role of trust in being a leader? Trust? really is that foundation, isn't it? It's something we talk a lot about at Bristol Cone and we like to define it. So again, definition, trust, positive predictability. When you have a relationship with an institution or a person or a leader in this case, where you have positive predictability, you know with a high probability that this person is going to deliver, is going to act, is gonna engage in a certain way, and it's going to be in a positive manner. That's a definition of trust. And we create trust or destroy it, frankly, in two ways. One of those ways is through our character. 
Our character can create or destroy trust and our competence can create or destroy trust. So character, honesty, integrity, uh, authenticity, uh, these are things that we can exhibit that can drive high levels of trust in an organization. Vulnerability, another character-based trust creator. The other element of this, as I mentioned, is competence. Leaders create trust when we are perceived to know what we're doing, when we're perceived to be competent in terms of developing a plan, deploying a plan, executing a plan. So that positive predictability is core, I think, to any leader's efficacy within an organization. And we create and destroy it based upon our character and competence. And it's important to understand the destruction part of trust as well, because there are a lot of behaviors that quote unquote leaders engage in every day that frankly serve to destroy the trust they have with the organization. And being aware of that is critically important in terms of being a high impact leader. What are examples of things that people do to destroy that trust? One of the the big ones we talk about are the written and unwritten rules of any organization. So if you think about an organization that you may have worked on at some point in your career, there are what we refer to as written and unwritten rules. So the written rules uh, tend to be pretty straightforward. Uh, They are the rules that any executive would stand up and have be the content of their stump speech. It would be what they would talk about to external stakeholders. Um, Then there are the unwritten rules. And the unwritten rules tend to be the reality of how the place works. Uh, Tends to be what people lean into more than the written rules. And so an example might be the written rules say, we want leaders who are innovative and creative and disrupting the status quo. And the unwritten rule is that those people don't do so well. The underwritten rule is that the people that keep their head down, the people that maintain the status quo, the people that aren't overly disruptive, the people that manage up well are the ones that get promoted. And so what happens is these unwritten rules dictate the behavior and ultimately the culture of an organization. So that destroys trust within an organization much more broadly, and in particular for the leader that's supporting those unwritten rules and is speaking those written rules. That gap is what is the destroyer of trust within an organization. So what would you, if somebody came to you with that situation where they do have these unwritten rules of keeping your head down and this maybe a a new hire, this new leader has been brought in precisely to create change, what are some ways that they can address that gap in a way that doesn't destroy the trust, that builds the trust? Well, one of the things any leader has to do when they go into an organization to create change is first understand the dynamics of change within that organization. And and I would tell you that beyond the trust conversation that we just had, the leader as a change agent is a foundational skill set for any leader going forward, any leader in the 21st century. So there's a lot of very interesting change models out there that kind of talk about how change happens in an organization. Uh, But we also, in the context of this question, talk about how change gets blocked within an organization. So change is blocked within an organization sometimes because of fatigue. There's change fatigue. We seem to be announcing changes all the time. Nothing ever seems to get traction. 
or sustain itself. So that fatigue is a blocker to change. There's also something that the neuroleadership has put out there called the SCARF model. And the SCARF model explains a lot about why nobody wants to change because they perceive the threat of change in one of these SCARF elements. So the acronym of SCARF means that change threatens people's sense of status, of their certainty, threatens their autonomy, threatens their relatedness or sense of community, and it threatens their sense of fairness. And so as a leader, when you go into an organization, it's important to ask a lot of questions, understand people's beliefs, because their beliefs are driving the current behaviors. And until you change their beliefs, you can't actually create any lasting change within an organization. And those beliefs are going to be protected with these scarf elements that I just talked about. So the change I'm about to announce is certainly going to threaten certain people's sense of status. I need to know that. I need to think about that. I need to engage these colleagues with an understanding of that and a discussion, an open, transparent discussion about that before we go into the change. Too often we just announce where we're going and these scarf elements keep us where we've been. And so understanding why change happens, why change doesn't happen, what the blockers are to change within an organization is critical for a leader going forward. In the first episode of our conversation, you said that you gained a lot of your leadership skills through failures and shortcomings. I think that's very frightening to some people, this idea that you need to fail in order to be a better leader. And failure may not be something that's welcome within some organizations. Can you comment on how to navigate that? We can come back to some of these written and unwritten rules. Uh, you know, the written rules say that failure is fine. Fail fast. You have a lot of kind of snappy, pithy phrases around the power of failure within the organizations. Those are the written rules. The unwritten rules often are you can't fail. You shouldn't fail. Uh, you will be looked at differently if you fail. And again, we got to close that gap. You know, failure is a fascinating thing. It, it scares people. Um, people uh, don't believe that they really truly don't believe that failure has utility. And that's the mindset change. You know, a lot has been written now on fixed mindset, growth mindset. So the fixed mindset being that our skills, capabilities, and intellect are largely fixed. They are what they are. You can't change these things. The growth mindset being that our skills, capabilities, and intellect can actually evolve. It's not going to make Don Bailey Albert Einstein, but it can get better. It, it can evolve. I can be a better version of myself, skill set, you know, attributes, intelligence tomorrow than I am today. And that is core to what people need to believe. Failure is required for growth. The growth mindset embraces the failure as something of utility. They see the failure as an opportunity and not as a threat. That's gonna be the core of what drives people. I'd like to ask that to my coaching clients, what's your relationship with adversity? And until you find a constructive, positive mindset with adversity, you're not gonna to get to the next level. You're not gonna harvest the insights from those failures and become the better leader tomorrow. So within an organization, how do you foster or support failure when failure can be very expensive? Always a balance. So 
I talk to people about a normal distribution curve. So you've got kind of a, you know, a flat part of the curve on the left side there, and then you've got this, you know, this bigger mass in the middle and then a flat part on the end. So this normal distribution curve, which a lot of people in the insurance industry certainly operate with an understanding of every day. And so I look at failure that way. If, if we're operating on the tail on the left side, meaning there's very little to no failure in the organization, that's a problem. That's not going to go well. It means we're not taking enough risk. We're not challenging ourselves. We're not getting outside of our comfort zones. No good. On the flip side, if you go to the far right end of the normal distribution curve and you look at what's the data points out there on that far end, too much failure, way too much failure, huge problem. Like this isn't going to work. We're failing every day. Everybody's failing. <laughs> so there's no good end to that dynamic either. So too little, no good. Too much, no good. So we got to hang out in that fat part of the curve where we're balancing the failure and the success. It's the only way it works. You mentioned beliefs and mindset as part of being a good leader. And it sounds to me like a big part of this actually starts with changing yourself. And change is never easy, or at least I've yet to meet someone who really enjoys it. So what is that change or that inner journey look like as someone goes from capable leader to high-performing leader? Effective leadership is highly correlated to the leader's relationship to adversity. Adversity, as we always say, either just left us or is on its way to find us at some point in the future. There's no such thing as a journey without adversity. So the key for leaders is to take a good look at their relationship with adversity, examine their relationship with adversity, because therein lies the answer to this question. So what we've learned over the past several years is that the learning that we have, the insights that we get from a leadership standpoint come from our failures as leaders, not from our success as leaders. Uh, our egos when we're successful, tell us, well, of course we're successful because we're good and we move on. We don't tend to examine it. The real important part of that journey that you talk about is when the adversity finds us. And what is our mindset when the adversity finds us? And so do we have a learner's mindset when it comes to adversity? Do we harvest the insights from the adversity, become better as a result of the adversity? So we are best when we embrace and are not threatened by the adversity that comes our way. I always say, you know, when there's adversity in my life, I say, why is this adversity in my life right now? Because there's a reason why it's here. And I need to find an answer for that. I need to find a learning in that. And I need to enhance my relationship with that adversity in a way that drives my leadership skills beyond where they could have been. So great leaders from my perspective have a very productive relationship with adversity and have throughout their journey. And if you don't currently have that as part of your mindset, how do you cultivate that? How do you start? Yeah, I, this is interesting. So I'm not sure I did 10 years ago, 11 years ago, and I was challenged by that. And so I thought long and hard about, you know, how I was dealing with some of the adversity that I had in my life. And at that moment, I was going through a, a divorce and it really focused my mind on this concept of adversity. And again, our egos kind of tell us that it's not my fault, it's somebody else's fault. And so I hired a coach 
uh, it's going to sound like an incredibly self-serving thing to put out there on this podcast, but I hired a coach and he did an extraordinary job of helping me on a journey of awareness, helping me understand who I was more deeply and helping me understand how others were perceiving me. And that was an incredible help for me. I was operating with this level of blind certainty, this blissful ignorance that we go through life with. And this coach changed the course of my life. He never told me what to do. He showed me who I was and what I was capable of doing in the world. And I embraced that. So I, I think at this point, it's something leaders in the industry really need to embrace substantially more than they are right now. I, I see it through my coaching. The first time somebody's told that they've had a coach that's been hired for them, they see it as this gut punch, as something demoralizing that's come their way. There's something wrong with me. And it really is and should be the exact opposite. We see now that you have brain surgeons that are hiring brain surgeon coaches to go into surgery with them. And if it's good enough for them, I think it's something we want to probably think about it as well. That's that's, <laughs> that's a good analogy. I think definitely if a, a brain surgeon needs help, then you know everyone can use help. I, that may be part of it that that leadership is typically seen as having all the answers. Um, I know exactly what I'm doing and I'm this indefatigable leader. Um, and so it sounds like coaching is acknowledgement that things kind of need to change there. It is. I think it really is. And this ties into a comment you had made earlier about kind of this masculine mindset and mystique that permeates the industry that, uh, people wouldn't hesitate to go to a, see a doctor if they've got a broken leg. But you know, mental illness gets put into a different category. And coaching kind of plays into that world as well. People see it as kind of a soft science. And some of what I'm certainly trying to relate through my own experience, but also through the conversation you and I are having, is that it's not a soft science. I mean, this is a very clear, distinct understandings about what leadership is and what it can be. It's not an art. It is very much a science in this day and age. And leaders would be well served to access the distinct insights that are out there and available. Don, this has been a fascinating conversation. And unfortunately, that's all we have time for. Thank you so much for making the time to share your expertise with me. Thank you. That wraps up my conversation with Don Bailey. He's a partner at Bristlecone, a coaching, consulting, and leadership development firm, and previously held executive positions at Marsh, Allstate, and Willis. In two weeks, I'll be joined by Rick McCatherine. Rick is the chief insurance officer at Hippo Insurance, an insure tech that is reimagining home insurance. I'm Igrani Yu. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Accenture Insurance Influencers Podcast. To hear more great episodes, visit Accenture.com slash insurance influencers.